One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to The Suitcase and the Strive with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey, everybody. Scott Burnside. With a dancing Christmas tree on my head. <laughs> Mike McKenna. I wish uh, everybody could see uh, this. Guess, <laughs> There's I, a gyrating Christmas exactly, tree on top exactly, of Scott's head. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to give me a headache if I keep that on there. But uh, welcome to another edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe. Mike McKenna in St. Louis. No, I might have called you Tim McKenna. Do you know I, I used to work at the photographer in, at the Windsor Star 100 years ago and later at the Toronto Sun, maybe at the National Post. Anyway, he was Tim McKenna. So, well, anyway, I get, Mike, I get, uh, I get Steve McKenna all the time. That still happens. Some of the old schoolers within media and, and hockey will still let Steve McKenna slip, the <laughs> infamous uh, tough guy for the LA Kings and some other teams. So, yes, uh, I remember. I anyway, believe my only other namesake in the NHL that I, that I know of. Great. Well, you look great. You look very festive. Thank you. Uh, and uh, before we get going, we've got lots to talk about. And obviously mm-hmm. lots uh, shifting underfoot in the hockey world. But you you look great. Very festive. I, I want to know the on a scale of one to ten, the anticipation level in the McKenna household as we tape this three days before the big guy in the red suit comes. What's <laughs> what's the anticipation level? It's high. Uh, I mean, you have two kids that are under the age of eight, five and eight year old daughters. They are through the roof. You know, we've had we've had some some really deep conversations uh, with Irma, our elf on the shelf. And so we've we've made sure we blackmailed our children into trying to be good, which is just such an American thing. Um, And yeah, they're just they're excited. Um, I'm going to kind of let the cat out of the bag. They don't know this. They don't listen anyway. So it doesn't matter but my you know the in-laws are coming in town to surprise the kids later today and that's that's pretty exciting they're going to have both grandparents around it and you know the way the world's been for the last two years we haven't had a lot of quality family time and especially with you know my my in-laws live in uh queensbury new york where adirondack plays in the echl of course years ago uh the adirondack red wings yeah um with the american hockey league and so for them to travel to St. Louis is a big deal, and it's it's good. It's gonna first off, you know, I mean, Scott, you've been through this. You know what it's like. It, it, it relieves a little pressure off the parents yes. to have grandparents around. Oh my gosh! Totally. Um, but it just it makes for a really really great morning when everybody comes downstairs to the tree and the coffee. And um, thankfully, it's not Folgers that I'm smelling, but it's it's <laughs> it's a nice morning like that. You got big plans? Got um, well, our son's home from college, so that's great. He's had a great first term, and. Uh, yeah, and you know we miss 
my family is, uh, and my wife's family is uh, still in Canada. So we won't, we won't do the traditional family thing. And that's a, you know, again, that's another part of the COVID mm-hmm. thing, the inability to travel freely across the border. So that's kind of a drag, but, um, it's going to be all good and lots of uh, fun Christmas memories here in Georgia. It's a good stop on the way to Florida. So <laughs> now I want to be, before we go, do you, was there a, do you have a favorite Christmas hockey related gift or a favorite, you know, something that, you know, still resonates for you when you think about Christmas morning as a uh, uh, young Mike McKenna, what, what Santa might've brought <laughs> that related to the game? Well, what's so difficult about goalie gear is it's hard to put under a Christmas tree. <laughs> That's true. And, and, the, and part of it is that you need that equipment at the start of the season. Um, so a lot of the gifts that I received were, were deemed Christmas gifts, but they were received in advance. They were okay. not brought by Santa. Right. Uh, but they still had that connotation, right? Like my first set of pads were Coho Evolution, uh, nylon pads that looked like Archer's Herbe, what he wore. Okay. Nice. And so these pads were amazing. They were light. They were boxy but they were nylon and they had a tendency to freeze to the ice if there was a little too much water on it. But you know what? It didn't matter to me. They came from my grandpa and my dad and my, my family. And they, they meant the world to me. They were my first pads. They weren't yeah. the pads from the, from the youth organization. They were mine. And, and yeah. um, that, that carried a lot of weight. I remember I had a Bauer 30, 30 goalie stick. And as a full right goalie, it was really hard to get sticks. And this was a pattern I'd wanted for, you know, a year I'd seen it in catalogs. I saw it in a store and finally got one. I think I slept with that stick for a week. And um, so, yeah, I, I had, there were a lot of hockey memories uh, and, and hockey gifts that may not have been under that tree that were really important. Uh, but I really looked forward to slot cars. I love slot cars as a kid. And those were the ones that could fit, you know, little packages, which yeah. car am I going to get, which track. And uh, that, that always got me excited to get up. And so I'm sure, I'm sure your family has plenty of those as well, right? That, yeah, that good. you know, I, hockey families, we all have those. That's right. Well, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, we, I, I, we lived in Northern Ontario when I was really little and my dad ran a farm up there and, uh, um, I remember the first table hockey game we ever had. And my dad was a diehard Leaf fan. And I, of course, was a Montreal fan just to spite him. And uh, <laughs> so the tin, they were tin players. And, uh, and we used a marble for some reason to start with. And uh, we played hours and hours and pictures of my dad. Sit- he could sit in the chair and use the you know, manipulate the men I stood. And it, even now, if I, I, I occasionally, if I find myself in a bar, uh, we'll play the little table hockey. We did during yeah. the, um, found a place in, uh, down in the flats in St. Louis. And there was a very vigorous media tournament there. <laughs> I suffered significant bruises to my knuckles trying to score the goal. But uh, I always have to stay. I always had to stand playing with my dad and, and he would never let me win. And I remember my mom saying, Doug, why? <laughs> He's a boy. Why would I let him win? And, and so, yeah, I never, and I never wanted it to let me win. I, that what would be the point, right? Yeah. So. yeah. And you needed a challenge. It's funny. I had one of those old rod hockey games as a kid yeah. as well. And um, like you said, the players were tin, but they were kind of sharp. And I remember one time my mom went to put a player onto the little peg yeah. to change teams. And the player went like right into her thumb and she's yep. bleeding. And I'm freaking out, not just because, not because she's bleeding, but because she's bleeding on the miniature replica Stanley cup. 
And, and I think, and my mom tells oh, this story all the time. You know, I think I'm, I don't know, three, four, five years old. Mom, you're bleeding on the Stanley Cup, you know, and, and we're thinking she needs stitches. And so I, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those injury memories that families all hold dear that you laugh at now that at the time, I'm sure she was probably pretty pissed, yeah. but I still laugh at it, man. You, you, mom, you're bleeding on the Stanley Cup. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it might've been a five minute major for uh, Yvonne Cornoyer or whatever. So. <laughs> yep. All right. So hockey, 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 we're not going to see much of it for the next little while. I, I, I always, it, you know, it's the lead up to the holiday break and, and now with the, the NHL deciding to pause the games after only one game made it to, to reality last night, that Vegas Tampa game, which was a pretty good tilt really. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we're paused now through the, Till the 27th, I think, is the first scheduled game. Teams yep. can get back on the ice, I think, on the 26th. Then still uh, so much uncertainty. I mean, I, even though it's paused, I still watch the numbers of players and staff. I mean, John Cooper in COVID protocols didn't coach the game for Tampa last night. The numbers of players and staff continue to rise that are in COVID protocols. And, I, I mean, I've, I, I, I like to think that this break – so you know, let's call it five or six days or four or five, depending on which team you're at, that hopefully this allows, you know, it allows some of this to run its course. Right. And we've seen mm-hmm. a number of players who've been in COVID, you know, now emerge from it. The vast majority, according to NHL teams of the players and staff who are in COVID protocols are asymptomatic or suffering only very mild symptoms. So, you know, it's, it's, and knock on wood, that continues to be the trend. It's, it's a question of, of uh, timing out through the protocols as opposed to recovering from illness. But I don't know, like, do you have a sense that the break allows us to start afresh on the 27th and, or are we, is this something we're going to, we're going to live every single day between now and when the cup is awarded wondering what's next or wondering how COVID is going to continue to alter our, uh, our little part of the world, the hockey world. Well, I think there's several things at play here that we're going to have to think about. And a big part of that is that some of these teams that have been ravaged with COVID, when they come back from this pause, those players aren't going to have to test for 90 days. And that's a big factor to this. And, you know, I think at Calgary, I mean, basically that whole team had it, (laughs) you know, so like, man, they're going to be like, pin it, mash the throttle, let's go when they come back. Um, And I think it's going to be different for every team because in my eyes, teams that haven't had to battle through this yet are going to at some point. Like I just, I can't see a world where they don't, even with the enhanced protocols, it just seems like this is spreading so quickly. But as you said, it's been largely asymptomatic and you've seen players come out say, you know, Connor Hellebuck, this is, I think this is overkill. Like let's look around and do something different. Well, I don't see the NHL changing the testing protocol this year. I just, I don't, I think it's almost a non-starter. I, I, I know that there's a lot of people, Steve Eiserman's another who's who very eloquently, and I agree with him how he put it out there that, Hey, like our players are basically fine and they want to play hockey. And I don't see that changing much, but I do see what will change is now with all these players that have had it, man, like they're not going to have to be tested because they have that first they've they're all vaccinated with the exception yep. of Tyler Bertuzzi. Everybody in the league is vaccinated and they've had it as a breakthrough case, which 
you know, I, four or five days ago, I read an article from USA Today where, Oregon, you know, University of Oregon researchers said that people that, have, that are vaccinated that have had a breakthrough case, research is showing they have super immunity. Yeah. So like, I mean, like the, those people, those dudes are just like, yeah, let's go. Right. <laughs> but I, I think that we're really going to see good hockey once this kind of gets through, because I think we'll get to that point by I'm guessing this is just me projecting yeah. here. Like, I think that that Olympic pause, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. I really think by that point, we're going to get to the stage where across the league, this isn't going to be much of a factor because so many people have had it that they're not going to have to be tested yeah. anymore. And that's just where I think it's going. So like, Scott, I'm, I'm from your end, I'm, I'm curious your take on that. And then also like you came out yesterday talking about the lament of the Olympics, an article written for daily face off and what we're seeing now. And, and yeah. we're not going yeah. right. Scott, it's like, done. it's done. Like we're just, we're waiting yeah. for that official the official word to come out. So, you know, how, how do you see it playing out, especially relating to the Olympics disappointments? Yeah. Well, I, I, like I totally get it. And I think, you know, the interesting part of this is like, I'm, I'm still mad about 2018. Mm. <laughs> I, I need to let it go. I get it. The like, Olympics me, you're talking of not going. Yeah. 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 So because yeah, that I, tournament I, was an absolute joke. Yeah. Well, it was, it, it was a farce. I, I honestly, and this is a complete aside, um, because I know, you know, USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, all, those, all the federations are now trying to figure out what they're going to do. I honestly can't imagine what that tournament's going to look like oh. as at the very last minute, they're scrambling to find a roster. New I, GMs, I don't know how. Like, GMs, John Van Beesburg takes over, Bill Guerin, I'm out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, well, the whole, yeah, the coach, like his clothes, and I haven't seen this yet, so I, I raised a question without even vaguely knowing the answer, but and I know the, the international tournaments, Claude Julian was, is the head coach, um, you know, for these international tournaments held over the holidays. I think they're canceled now as well, but like Claude Julian is, he's not a young man. Does he, does he want to expose himself to what goes on in, in Beijing and the potential long-term quarantine? If you test positive there, Mm -hmm. what, what is that Canadian team going to look like? It it, it, will it look exactly like it did four years ago in South Korea. And and again, all credit to all those guys. I talked to Brian Gianta recently for a story about Troy Terry, who was also both those guys were on that U S Olympic team, 2018. Um, But it's different. It's not the same. So, to me, that is, I still don't know. I still think that's a huge miss by the NHL and the NHLPA. But then, sure. that I'll yeah. get but over. This is the, this is the right call, the, not going. This is the right call. There's no bad guy in this situation. This is, this is hockey, like everyone else in the world, trying to figure out what, how we're going to get through this and what our new normal is going to look like. But I do, it's just, it's just Mm. sad. It's just so sad, especially not having gone in 2018, the possibilities and what we expected. So yeah, I do. I feel a certain sadness to it. And and I went like, are there, I saw somebody comment, you know, boohoo millionaires don't get to play in the Olympics. I I get it. Everything's on a relative to scale here, but are there players that you feel especially badly for knowing that, Mm. This is not going to happen. And honestly, I, this idea that somehow the Beijing games like the Tokyo summer games might get pushed back a year. It seems almost impossible that that's yeah. going to happen. So let's assume that the next Olympics possibility and who knows what the world looks like in 2026, 
but that's what we're looking at. Maybe a world cup of hockey, uh, you know, they got to get their act together on that, but that's still 2024 probably. But do you feel badly for someone or who do you, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I think, well, first let's, let's talk, talk briefly about that comment of, Oh, boohoo millionaires don't get to play in the Olympics. Yeah. Do you know who you want to see play in the Olympics? Yes, Mr. Superfan, Twitter, tough guy. You want to watch the millionaires. You don't want to watch your beer league buddies go out there and bend your ankles all over the place and throw pucks into the stands. Like, come on, dude. Like, you're watching these millionaires. That's why you're on Twitter. That's why you're a fan. Don't act like you don't love watching these people. Like it can't help but the fact that you consuming media and watching TV and doing all these things is driving revenue and allows them to be millionaires because they're the best of what they do in the world. (laughs) Enough of that. It's always relating to money. When people are mad, it's always just straight up like, Oh, he's making $64 million. He shouldn't worry that his kid's in the hospital. It doesn't matter. Like, man. Oh, Okay, I've got it out of my system. I'm going to let that slide. You know who I feel bad for? Steven Stamkos. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay, and, you know, he's, he's missed due to injury. He's been a last cut, and he's having a sick season, like <laughs> filling the net, you know? And, I mean, to the point where I think, you know, we're always going to look probably towards Ovechkin, Dreisaitl, McDavid, maybe Matthews, like at this stage of the game for your MVP of the league. Sure. But Stamkos is in that mix this season. Yeah, he like, is. Like Tampa is missing players and he's carrying the mail. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think there's a huge lament. You know, I heard him talking. Uh, he spoke after one game saying, like, I, I, you know, frankly, I'd go no matter what. That's more or less what he said, paraphrasing him. It's just, I've never had the chance to do this. I don't care. I'd go. Yeah. And, and I think that's really the passion that you see from this is, Wearing your country's jersey is such a draw and playing for something greater than your own good. It's just so special. And we're basically going to see an entire generation of NHL hockey players not have that opportunity. You know, your window to play hockey really is about eight to 10 years if you're lucky. Even the top end, sharp end, pointiest of end players, that's the window that you might have to make an Olympic team, six to eight years, maybe, unless you're generational. And that's tough, right? Like this is a guy who should have been there and, and there's others, but I, I, I feel for him because it, it's one of my great disappointments was not ever having the chance to wear the U S Jersey. Yeah. And for similar reasons, yeah. my daughter was born during the world championships one year when I was asked to go for the U S team. And I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be in Scandinavia when my first daughter was being born. Yeah. I, totally. I, I I didn't want to take an American League contract so I could go to the 2018 Olympics that I felt were going to be a joke and they ended up being a joke. And I yeah. didn't like, honestly, Scott, I didn't want to get personally embarrassed across like for everybody in the world to see. Yeah, Maybe I was afraid of that. Maybe I'm a coward. I don't know. But you know what happened? The U.S. goalie got embarrassed. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. And great. it's not because he was a bad goal. It's just that's the way it was set up. He was set up to fail. Yeah. And I didn't want to risk that. Steven Samkos wouldn't have to risk that. He could go and have a great time and maybe win a gold medal. So, man, it's just it's a tough moment for these players not to get it. They want it so bad. But I think when push came to shove, they realized, hey, my job, my duty is the team that pays me. And we got to try to get through this year. Yeah. Get st- and, man, I think we're back at that stage of, like, get the Stanley Cup awarded. You know, <laughs> no, so. totally. It's interesting. And I, I was maybe, uh, and I think we're going to, we'll touch on Nashville down the road, but I mm-hmm. had a chance to chat with John Hines <clears throat> yesterday for a piece I'm working on. And 
you know, he was part of that U.S. Olympic coaching staff along with Mike Sullivan, David Quinn, and Todd Reardon, and I don't think I'm oh, and uh, our uh, Ryan our Miller. Pal, Ryan Miller was part of that special coaching. advisor yeah. and kind of goalie coordinator. Goalie coordinator, but and just to hear him talk about same kind of thing, right? I mean, that lost opportunity of and you know having already worked with guys that he really respects and you know, the, the, you know, the, the enthusiasm they felt for building what would have been, you know, a a dynamic young American team. And, you know, that opportunity has gone and who knows what happens to John Hines in four years. And does he get this opportunity again? And I think at the end of it, I I feel badly for fans, especially for, you know, sort of a generation of fans. Like I wrote about, you know, I'm lucky I've been to three Olympics, experience has been incredible it you know the memories that i take with me and obviously things like watching the golden goal crosby's goal in 2010 mm-hmm. in vancouver but but all the experiences at the olympics for fans who don't who don't know that now you know i think of you know like you know of a certain age their favorite players will never have played in these kinds of events and they won't have been invested as fans mm-hmm. in these events and i that's why i think Boy, I really do hope the NHL and the NHLPA really put their minds to putting together a World Cup of Hockey tournament that is a true World Cup of Hockey tournament. And with all due respect to 2016, but no made-up teams, no young stars, no none of that. You know, I hate to, none of that garbage. Let's have let's have a tournament that cut the fluff, cut the fluff, put the best cut, players on the ice. The we don't need to try to sell this game by put showcasing young players. Just put the best players on the ice. Let's go. Yeah. So let's let's have that. But anyway, I, so I do feel sad about that. Yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I love your fan perspective on this. If, uh, and it brings to mind how I every year that the Olympics have taken place previously, I always heard it from people about the game from people that never were invested. You know, it has that bigger brand, that bigger scale. And I think that's the the major disappointment, really, from that perspective, even from the player's perspective, is that. The World Cup of Hockey, if that's done, that's a draw to Canadians. That's a draw to diehard American fans, but it's not the Olympics. No. And that's the hard part. You just can't replicate how special it is. A lot of things that you alluded to about just being there and covering it, Scott. It's all true. Like it has that that grand scale, that pop, the glamour, the walking into the stadium, you know, wearing the tracksuit, going to the village. You don't get that at a World Cup of Hockey. (laughs) No, you don't. But you will get great hockey at a World Cup of Hockey. Yes. It will be just as good. Yeah. But it doesn't have the branding. <laughs> uh, all right. So got this. We have the holiday break. And then we know now that there's going to be this three-week period from, I could get my calendar up, but let's call it you know, basically the month of February until the last week of February. And um, so the NHL, my sense of it, it will try and reschedule some of the postponed games, there's some issues with uh, building availability. And I think it's important to make sure that teams are not idle for a long period of time during that break yeah. while other teams are sort of gearing themselves up. So it, there's a lot of, listen, the, whatever happens with that scheduling, and again, we saw this the last couple of years, whatever they're paying the schedule. Oh man, team, what a tough job. Yeah. But well, and and there, you don't want your, you don't want your players going to, Aruba for two weeks. No, some of them have built vacations in here and they're going to have to change that. I get it. 
but man, like you still got to stay active, you know? (laughs) So it's when you've got it, I think you have to take advantage of as much as possible to try and fill in the gaps. I think, what are we, Mm -hmm. I know what the total is it high forties and games postponed. Yeah. Just shy of 50, I believe at this point. So, you know, it's lots of work to do, but so let me ask you this as we, as we have this sort of pause and then we, you know, we contemplate what happens between return and the, and the, now the, gone Olympic break. Mm-hmm. Are there teams that, that you are like, Oh, you know, this probably comes at a really good time for this team that this re- time for a reset or a time that I wonder how this team will come out of the break because this is this, they could use this. Is, are, did anybody come to mind for you? And, uh, and I will, I'll give you a chance to think about this, but I'm just curious. I'm a little curious about the Minnesota wild. We talked a lot about them still in first place in the central division, but you know, they're 3 and one they start to leak a little defensively when they've been so terrific and Cam Calvin's yeah. been great, but they're starting to, I wonder if this is like one of those, you know what, that it's okay if we don't play for a week or so and let's, <laughs> let's reset ourselves here. But are, are there teams that you're like, yeah, no, this is actually may work out for them. Yeah. There's a couple of them. I think uh, I, I look to Winnipeg yeah. right away. Uh, and I think Edmonton as well. You know, I think you got, kind of have to look to these middle pack teams. And Edmonton was not a middle pack team for most of this season. And they have become a middle pack team because guess what? You can't just live on a 50% power play that's come back somewhat down to earth in the 30s. And you need goaltending. And it has not been there for Edmonton. What we knew is I went into the season going, man, Edmonton's just going to try to outscore everybody again. And they started off, they were a little better defensively, and then it started to unravel again. You started to chase the game. Uh, you start to press because you're not scoring every single power play. Uh, and Winnipeg, man, is the team that I picked for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, Freely admit that. They've got excellent goaltending. I think they've got depth. They've got a nice lineup. They have good defense. And they've been treading water. And Paul Maurice fires himself, you know, and, and I say that term again, he, this is not a firing, but it, it, this was probably the most selfless thing a coach could have done walking away going, I'm just, I'm not getting the most out of the players and I'm a little tired, you know, yeah. a little bit of COVID fatigue, which I totally understand. And man, what a feeling though, to be able to call your shot and be like, man, I've got enough money. I can go do whatever. Like I just admire that so much. Cause I can tell you, Scott, I have had an epiphany the other day that if I could go sling pizzas and make a good living, I'd go sling pizzas. I yeah. would just chuck everything out the window and go do that and probably be the happiest guy. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not skilled enough at that. I'm hardly skilled enough at this to make a living. But <laughs> oh, Winnipeg, I just... Winnipeg, though, that team needs it. I mean, Wheeler, Shifley, like, it just hasn't clicked so far. And, of course, being out with injuries, it's yeah. it's been tough there. But They've got skill. They need it. I'm sure they're looking around, especially with Paul Maurice walking away and going, okay, let's just exhale. It'll be nice to get away for a little bit, come back, come fresh. Um, and, and I think, you know, Philadelphia is a team to me that's kind of in that same boat. Like they're, yeah. but I feel like they've been exhaling all year. Like, you know, it's been all these moments of, oh, okay, maybe we'll get it now. Maybe we'll get it back now. This will be the moment. And it just hasn't clicked. So I, I, those are the two I really like. I think Winnipeg needs it straight up. Like no matter what that looks like, no matter. And if you're Paul Maurice, you don't leave him hanging. Like you have to have a backup play. He knows Dave Lowry and Jamie Compot can handle that team. Yeah. He knows that he wouldn't have left them if he didn't feel that way. Yeah. But I think you still need a little bit of time there to really let that sink into everybody throughout yeah. the organization. 
it's it's fascinating. And, you know, Flyers have started to at least offensively, you know, with Mike Yo there, and after Alain Vigneault and Michel Therrien were were dismissed, starting to you know a little bit of. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on both those teams, and I'm I had Winnipeg. I can't remember. I didn't have them winning the cup, but boy, I had them uh, locked into a playoff spot in the central. Yeah. I really loved what Kevin Chevel Dayoff had done there, and uh, I did too. Yeah, so it's uh, I am I am fascinated to 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 see how that goes, and again, the, you know, the injuries are you know it's a part of it, and the COVID, like all those things, it's going to be really fluid, and it's you know again. It's coaches who can, you know, sort of rise to the moment or or get keep players focused. Where it's so easy now to be, oh, we're not playing, or these mm-hmm. you know we've got these guys out, or like it. To me, it really has been a coaching. Well, all of this has been about coaching, but to me, it's, yes. that's about the value. Where we are right now at this stage of the game with COVID and all these pauses and all the weirdness going on right now, it is all about keeping your players focused because this season could spiral so quickly for a lot of these teams. Like you're a couple bad games away from people looking around going, Oh, we're missing. We're asymptomatic. What are we doing? This isn't fun. And it just goes. And that's where you look at the teams that have managed to power through this and been successful. The Tampa Bay's of the world that doesn't phase them. Just whatever. We're good. Don't bother us. We know we can win. You know, I think, and you, and you alluded to Minnesota, like, you wonder if they can keep that mojo going, you know, I, I think they can, Yeah, but there's a lot of people that just don't believe in them for whatever reason you should, but people don't, yeah. well, <laughs> they're not the it, sexy team. No. And you know the interesting, again, you build a certain cushion where you can ride these things out where maybe the panic doesn't, you know, like if you're a, like, you know, now I think of, you know, a team you know, like Philly can't afford to have another, you know, t- two week or whatever stretch where they're off the rails and Winnipeg's yep. in the same, there's a certain urgency. If you're uh, the surprising Minnesota wild. And I think frankly, you can say the same thing about Anaheim mm. at some point, you know, you, you, you hit a little sideways, you know, a little bit of a swoon. Dean Evison in Minnesota um, it is going, you know, that team, there's enough belief there. Um, in Dallas Aiken in Anaheim, yep. I think there's enough belief there that, now you've built enough currency, you can say, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe they will go on a month-long swoon, one of those teams, but I don't think so. I we like can't predict the future. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think they've got a good grasp, especially within the locker room. I would say Anaheim's more fragile than Minnesota, knowing how Minnesota at least has playoff pedigree of recent times. True. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they do believe in Dean Evason. I believe they play hard for him. Um, and, and even down the roster, like Fiala's been better lately and, Something I touched on this the other day, yesterday on the Daily Face Off show, Alex Goligoski has been amazing for Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, yeah. one year deal at five million bucks. It's kind of a prove it slash come home to Minnesota. You're from yeah. Grand Rapids, Minnesota. You played at the U of Men. You were a bat, you know, you were a golden yeah. gove. Like he's leading that team in D scoring. Like not Matt Dumba, you know, not Jared Spurgeon, man. It's yeah. Goligoski. So another just a great signing by Bill Guerin. And I think they've got that experience that they'll be fine it's the it's the outside people that with minnesota just they just don't seem to have that belief man and i i don't know i like them when cam talbot's on his game like they're a tough team to beat yeah Uh, all right um i want to hear more about your holiday menu planning but while we're going to segue into 
eating, it's a good time to remind our listeners that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, Restaurants, and More, delivered right to your door. I know we've got our menu pretty much planned, but I'm already thinking ahead to to eating not stuff that I'm helping to prepare. And I'm only a minor helper here, but what, what's on, what are you, do you do the deep fried Turkey thing or what do you? (laughs) Turkey for me is a Thanksgiving thing. I do prime rib on Christmas Eve. Oh, nice. And, and I regret to inform you. And this is, this is a very, this is a personal subject. Um, my wife and my mom have requested that I not smoke the prime rib because apparently I try to smoke everything and I've, I could do Why not? And, what are you and, and, to and they're, they're right, Scott, they're right. And they won't let me smoke the prime rib, but oh, man. they, they want, they just, they want the traditional prime. Rib. I'm happy to give it to them. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We always do prime rib on Christmas Eve and everybody chips in and uh, makes for, a great frittata the next morning and, and nice. just great leftover. I mean, you can do, we usually do a frittata and then if there's any more, then we do fajitas and it just, yeah, it's a good deal. So, and then, so we do that Christmas Eve, but Christmas day, uh, and this is where our friends from, from DoorDash come in here, Scott, yes. because Christmas day, we always order Chinese uh-huh. and we just sit around and we enjoy the day and we take it easy. Yeah. And our friends at DoorDash are definitely going to be bringing us a couple orders of, General Sows and Sesame <laughs> Chicken and Mushu Pork from China <laughs> One down the street. So can't look for, just yeah, I just love hitting the button, Scott, and it's there 30 minutes later. <laughs> well, I'm I'm our, we do our Christmas uh, dinner on Christmas Eve as well. And we uh, mm-hmm. my wife has a special chorizo stuffing that is that's Ooh. I could just eat that, but a yeah, Spanish no, I, chorizo, I, I would imagine. Hmm? You know, like the, the chopped up Spanish oh, yeah. chorizo. Oh, yeah. that sounds delicious. Yeah, no, it's and we're the same way. I, I love a we're we're all about. You know, I grew up in uh, rural Ontario, and my, both my parents' families, so both sides of my mom and dad's families, Christmas dinner was always at you know somewhere between two and three p.m. on mm-hmm. Christmas Day, and you had the hats, and but it was it never varied. It, I still bug my mom. They, five bean casserole and jellied salad. It is every single year I swear for three generations. So we broke that mold here in Georgia. Yes, but it tugs on your heart. Oh, yeah, it does. Course. You know, like I, it's funny. Like I'm such a big, I, I love food, you know that. And I subscribe to Bon Appetit and food and wine. I'm always checking recipes and I get every year you get these holiday recipes and like, especially even like Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's just like, no, man, just give me the classics. I'll take that green bean casserole all day long. You know, just the simple things. I don't need to, I don't need to church up the Brussels sprouts. We'll be fine. <laughs> so let's, let, enough on food. We've covered that topic. Uh, like let's, it. let's veer back towards what we, uh, what we really love hockey and something I love. It's a couple goalies. And, Shocking. you know, yeah, big surprise. Right. And couple of emotional days in the league. Yeah. Garrett Sparks plays for the Los Angeles Kings. Hasn't been in the NHL, I believe, since 2019. Yeah. At one point, was making 600 bucks a week in the cheeser, the East Coast, the ECHL. Um, and he's resurrected his game, and he's back. And um, after the game, you know, he stands up there. He wins against the Washington Capitals, against the greatest scorer of all time in Alex Ovechkin, which he gives deference to, like – he's a very cerebral goalie in a lot of ways. Like he understands the big part of the game. And, you know, Scott, for me, watching him 
stand up there and talk was pretty personal because I've been there before. Like how hard you have to work to even get these opportunities that some Twitter joker out there will be like, you only played 34 games, 77 wins. It's like, yeah, dude, do you know how absolutely hard I had to work and what I had to put myself through to even get those two game, three game, four game week long call-ups to potentially play one game to keep living my dream. No, you don't know that because you can't fathom what it takes, Mr. (laughs) Twitter jockey. Um, It's true. But I think, but I think Garrett really encapsulated it. Just how special it is when you play at the NHL level and when something's taking away from you. I mean, he was Mike Babcock's punching bag for half a season in Toronto, you know, first full year in the league. It wasn't great, but man, he was growing into his game. And it just, you get beat up nonstop. Like, you know, we needed a save. Like, yeah. It's a tough situation for him and I'm happy to see it. And, and I want to get your thoughts on another one that happened recently. Robin Leonard goes yeah. back to long Island yeah. and long Island is where everything changed for Robin Leonard the summer before checks into, he goes to rehab. He, he, he finds his way in life again and the fans embrace him. What did, what did you make of that return for Leonard? I'm all about Robin Leonard. I I just, I, 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 you know, I don't know the right, I've spoken to Robin a few times, but like we don't have a relationship, but Mm -hmm. I, I adore how he approaches the game and his mental health. And I, I really think he, I don't know if people, you know, if if it will be possible to quantify his Mm -hmm. importance to the game as a whole, because I think he is really, you know, there were others, you know, and people who maybe who had left the game. And I think of Corey Hirsch and other people who've been, spoken very eloquently about their own mental health journeys. But for a, a, a player in his prime and playing critical games for good teams, he has really broken the mold in saying, I, I wasn't OK. I'm I'm trying to stay OK every day and being very like so honest. And mm-hmm. I, I think he's referred to that his time on the Island. It, it as that's a time that saved his life. And I don't yeah. think that's the fans. He said the fans there saved his life. I, I mean, I, I just, I just, he's not bullshitting, that's, man. That's real. Yeah, that it is, is real. And I just, I just love that. And so for him to go home and to be able to share that with the fans. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's, I think that's outstanding. We're, the game's lucky to have him. And I think, I, I want to ask you about Vegas because I'm really curious yeah. game, because the only game last night. I want to go back though for one second. You were talking about Garrett Sparks and I'm lucky because I was there when you came back to the NHL and got your first win. At, I think it was what, two, two and a half years. It had been a while. We'll just it say that. It had been a while for the Dallas Stars. <laughs> and I just remember like that's, what was that like? What was that period of time like? It was near the end of a season. You know, stars were, it, it was the end of a hard season for the mm-hmm. stars. You know, Ben Bishop had been injured and then Kari Lettinen was injured. Yeah. What was that? What was that period of time like for you? And especially getting that win. Remember, you came on relief of Kari and <laughs> saved right. the win in San Jose. What was that like for you? Well, for me, I think it was just an affirmation of everything I'd done for the previous couple of years. And that season was so rewarding to me because it started off terrible. I thought I was getting traded for sure. And I'll tell you, I had one moment where a month into the season, maybe a month and a half, my numbers look like a credit card. Like I still was, I was still winning games. I think I was 500, but my numbers were so bad. And and I was just kind of struggling. I was trying too hard. I, I, I hadn't been able to figure out my own game again within the structure of the team I was with. 
And I remember sitting there and I got a phone call from Scott White, who was the yeah. assistant general manager. And I saw Scott White come up on my phone and I took a deep breath and I went, this is it. And I was so freaked out because we loved Austin, Texas, like loved, loved, loved my family living there, everything. It was a perfect setup. We loved everything about it. And I went, oh shit, this is it. Like I'm probably going, you know, to back to Syracuse. I don't know. And and I actually love Syracuse. I didn't mean that as a slag, but I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. And he goes, Hey Mike, uh, well, fish is out. We need you in in Dallas. And I was just like, Oh, and by the way, it's in your hometown of St. Louis. And I was like, Oh, it was like a wave of emotion. And so I I just went and dressed a game there and that was it. But it was kind of like an affirmation of like, Hey man, we still, still believe in you. Like you're still, you're You're good. It's fine. And, And it got to be like early December and my, that season took off for me. Like I was bottom barrel in the league. And then for the rest from December on, I had like a nine thirty seven for the rest of your save percentage, like couldn't stop winning games and playing well. We went to the Calder cup finals, but I did have that month long month and a half long span with the Dallas stars where I just dude hitch was just, I was riding the pine, man. <laughs> like there was no way around it. Like hitch was going to play Kari. Kari was going to play. And you know, like I'm going to Universal with Sagan and the boys, like just having fun. And we get to that point though, where Kari got hurt. I mean, it, the season was pretty much gone at that point, and he gets hurt. Yeah. And I go in, and it's just like, ah, whatever. Let's let's go play. You know, I never played San Jose before. Yeah, it was fun to be in that building, and I, I don't think I allowed a goal in that game. No, and so, and it was about two and a half periods of work. But man, I just remember coming in afterwards and seeing the look on, you know, Jamie Ben's face and some of the older guys that are just like, they just had this smirk because they knew here comes this old dude that's been kicking so hard for this long. And whether I started a game or not, it meant so much, man. Like it was something for me to really hang my hat on is like, I thought I, at that point, you never know what's gonna be your last win. You may never get another chance, right? Yeah. you know, and that's the way I looked at it. And, you know, I got home, got to see my kids and smile and. You know, what's cool is this past week, Scott, my family, we all went to watch the Blues and Stars play yeah. in St. Louis. And I know I'm getting a little off the, off the no. rails here, but this is good stuff. No, and so is. my daughters wore their Texas Stars jerseys and the kind of on the back. They wore them over their St. Louis Blue shirts because they were dual fans for a night, you know, <laughs> because we still have this affinity to Dallas. It was a great year for our family, Dallas and Austin. And they, we go and I made signs for warmups. And so I had one for Gary Anov. It's a, Hey, Gary Domino's pizza or McKenna's. And I had a couple others and, you know, one for Jamie Ben that's Hey Chubbs, I love your hair. And like, it took the guys a couple of hot laps and warmups before they realized who was behind these signs. That's great. And then it turned into everybody skating by, you know, laughing. Pavelski tosses my daughter a puck. Jamie Ben tosses my daughter a puck. <laughs> Radulog gives it the goofiest wave I've ever seen. Gary Anov's laugh. And it just, I tell you what, Scott, it was one of the favorite moments for me because it, it tied right back to what you were talking about yeah. that like, man, it's one game, it's two and a half periods, but when you've had to just, I mean, just grind, man, like eat pucks and put the gear on to just get that one chance and be rewarded. Like it's, it's hard to describe that feeling, man. That's, that's the drug that kept me going in hockey was that the big save, the big win, like the party afterwards. I, I don't mean like truly yeah, the party. But- I mean like the party in, in, you know, on the ice and in the locker room celebration of it. So I'm glad you let me go off there because it, gosh, like you're hitting my heartstrings, man. (laughs) But it's, I mean, to me, and you, I mean, you started with talking about Garrett Sparks. I mean, what, you know, how, you know, I think a guy like Jack Campbell, who, you know, a little different situation, but you know, who's, I mean, 
you know, what, what you appreciate it all so much more yeah, when it comes I mean, through hardship. You hundred yeah, percent no, do. Totally. And that's like uh, Robin. Leonard. There you go. You appreciate everything that much more. Exactly. Well, and I, it wasn't. And a, think, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's, you know, and, and to me, that's part of, that's part of being a fan, right? Like you're connected mm-hmm. to the team. And so you're connected to their stories as well. Right. I mean, I, yeah. you know, the real fans, I think are people who understand that. And so it's, you know, it can't just all yeah. be crunching numbers and, you know, save above expected or all the, it, it's gotta be more than that. I think there's wow. room for all that, but it, there's gotta be room for more. Yes. And it's about the people and their stories and why you, care about them right why are you buying that ticket well you want to see what happens next or whatever and i want to just say this real quick that hockey players are just as much fans as everybody else yeah and that's the reason why like a you know goofball like me getting a win like that that's when you can see the fan come out in your teammates when they're just that happy for you like what a feeling that people are happy for you on a personal level it's really cool um well we were talking about robin leonard briefly and his return and and how that went and one thing he couldn't do was play last night against the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, out with an undisclosed injury. And so Tampa, the Vancouver, or Vancouver, listen to me, the Vegas Golden Knights started Laurent Brossois uh, yep. against Andre Vasilevsky. And you talk about two heavyweights going at it here, Scott. Like, I think everybody was looking at this and you saw some, some jokes flying around on the Twitters out there. Of, hey, let's just award the Stanley Cup tonight. Whoever wins gets it. That's right. And I, I don't think, I don't think it's that far off, Scott. And, now, Vegas, they're missing Alex Petrangelo, Evgeny Dodonov. They're both in COVID protocol. Yeah. Um, Tampa Bay is missing Kucherov and Point. So these teams aren't 100%, but they're still playing well. Yeah. And Tampa Bay comes out with a 4-3 win, despite the Vegas Golden Knights out shooting them. Maybe more scoring chances, but the high-danger ones, pretty even. Yeah. Were you watching that game with bated breath, Scott? Yeah, no, I was totally. And, and uh, you know what's interesting? I was sort of, I'm sure like um, Vegas fans are waiting with bated breath to find out. But when Mark Stone went down in the first period, he sort of got low bridge, mm-hmm. young player. It wasn't intentional. Then he played, but then didn't play the last half of the game. And Pete DeBoer's a bit circumspect about it. It sounded like it might not have been that collision but a tweaking of an earlier injury but man that mark stone is so important to that team yeah. and he'd already scored two scored two goals at that point yeah. in the game well exactly yeah at half injured or whatever it was he scored the power play goal in the first and then scored a second and um and you mentioned stamkos got the game winner and uh i'm 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 curious i'm tampa you know because as you point out point and kucherov at some point are coming back mm-hmm. and that team is they're going to cook that uh, top end of that Atlantic is so tough now with Tampa, Florida, Toronto, man, it pressures on Boston to, you know, find their way in there, but that's, it's, you know, they're going to be there. Vegas. I'm really curious about, and I wonder what you, because I'm now imagining at some point, and especially now without the Olympic, you know, to, to maybe put an artificial deadline on Jack Eichel returning, but at some point Jack Eichel is going to give it a go. Mm-hmm. And if he is, if he can get back to health, if the neck um, replacement disc surgery works and he's stepping back into that, I watched that team and they're so fun to watch and so dynamic. Nicholas Warren scored a, a, an outstanding goal. Like that team is stocked. I don't know. Like, do you 
have them above Colorado? Do you have them above? Well, you know, we talk about Minnesota, Edmonton, Calgary, Anaheim, any of those teams. To me, it, it, with Jack Eichel in in there, you pencil him in. Man, that team is man. They are going to be a bear. They should be. But I think there's still well, question, there's yeah. question marks. Like we know what Tampa is. We know what they're going to look like when Kucherov and Point are back. Like I mean, Corey Perry scored six goals this year. Okay, yeah. what a great signing. Like their depth, they just Julian Breesbois just keeps backfilling. Uh, Pierre Edward Belmar goal last night. One of the best fourth line players you can ask for as yeah. a centerman. Former goalie night. Yes, and and we know what Tampa is and what they will be. There are still question marks with Vegas. Yeah. With Eichel, he's never played there before. Stevenson's the guy between Stone and Pacioretty. Nicholas Waugh, you mentioned him. He is a very good centerman. When he's on the wing, he disappears. Yeah. Okay? Like, when he plays third or fourth line center, he'll do things that, you, that surprise you. Like, last night we saw, and he's gaining confidence in his game. You stick him on the wing, and it all goes out the window. <laughs> and, you know, how do they factor that in? Like, I think Pete DeBoer actually has a pretty challenging task on his hand when this team gets back to full health because he's going to have to juggle some players. Now, of course, a coach will say, I have a better lineup. I will juggle these players. I'll take these players all day long. And 100% you will. Yeah. But there's also salary cap implications. If Vegas isn't a hundred, if they're 100% healthy, they're going to be 5 million bucks over that cap. Somebody's got to go or multiple yeah. people have to go, right? Like you can't just stash a healthy dude on long-term IR, no matter what people want to say about Tampa with Kucherov, he was not healthy. He was recovering. So I don't, I, I want to say Vegas should be because they should yeah. like, that's a sick team as is, but I just still have questions. And, and I never comfortable in that way. You know, like I think Colorado, we pretty much, you kind of know who they are yeah. to me, Colorado. If, if, if Kemper can get it back together and, and get back to that 920 level, like not even 905, 920, yeah. and give them some solid, some solid minutes, like Colorado's still yeah. scary. But Vegas handled them last yeah. year in the playoffs. I, I, I would bet on Vegas, but I have reservations. Uh, but that game was fun because last night, basically, Scott, to me, like, I think Vasilevsky won the game for Tampa. Oh, totally. Simple as that. He yeah, made some early saves. On. Early on, rush chances, active, uh, late in the game. Like he just has a presence about him. Yeah. And the, he and, and last point, I'd be along again. We're at this stage where people and pundits and, and other people with the media like ourselves are saying, like, well, Shashir can steal games for the Rangers. I don't know if that can go on. Uh, you know, Jari's stealing games in Pittsburgh, Vasilevsky stealing games in Tampa. Can we just admit to the fact that goalies are that important? Because guess <laughs> what? You don't do that. You don't win without goalies who steal. You see sorrows in Nashville. Like <laughs> you need goalies that steal games. Like, why are we saying if he's gonna get he's coming back down? He's no, we should expect rate goaltending from the great teams. You have to have it to win. So, man, I've just been Scott, dude. I've been soapboxing today. I'm sorry. I haven't given you your time here. Who do, who let's go to another one? Who do you who do you think? What do you think of these hot teams in hockey, man? We just touched on it. Pittsburgh, Nashville, Vancouver, seven game, seven game, six game win streaks. Which of those teams do you like? Do you think they're for real? Yeah, I, I get, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what to make of any of them, really. I mean, you know, I, I'm so pleased for Bruce Boudreaux. I, there's a team that I bet is wishing they could play every day right now. I'm sure, sure the break is you know, whatever their COVID situations, yep. notwithstanding, I'm sure they wish they could play 
today and tomorrow um, just to keep this heater going. But, and, and it'll be, you know, they're, they're still a long shot, right? Six points out, I think, but they played a couple more games. So, uh, but I do love what Bruce has done there and, and good for, good for the Canucks to have some life and some joy. And I mentioned talking to John Hines for a piece I'm working on, on, you know, a Preds team that really has redefined its culture. And we talk about this all the time, mm-hmm. but they really seem to have done it. And it, I think it makes them an interesting team because, you know, UC Saros has almost seamlessly stepped into that, you know, that place that was held with such honor and respect by Pecorine for so yeah. long. They're going to retire Pecorine's number before the outdoor game. And like, it's really, things are happening again in yeah. Nashville when it looked like they might not. Uh, but I, I will just say of those teams, Pittsburgh is one, I still look at them and I go, okay, we, you know, what's, I, you know, no, Malkin hasn't played a game yet. Mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby has been, you know, has been really good since he came back from his COVID slash injury issues. Um, Tristan Jari is the guy for me that, you know, again, and that, and I'm, I will turn this into a question to you, but I know that I know fans in Pittsburgh are, I do radio there occasionally. And I, I know that there is probably this feeling of, okay, that we love this, but what will happen in the first round against Washington or the mm-hmm. first round against Carolina, or if they were a wild card team and they play Tampa or or Florida, can he do it when it counts? But to me, that's one of the great stories of this NHL season is people want, you know, like people, that's, it's a hard place to play goal in general. And mm-hmm. Tristan Jari was not very good in the playoffs last year against the Islanders. Are, do you, are you surprised with this? Or are you one of those people who, and again, understanding the position, you, you know, okay, that's great, but you got to still deliver when it counts. That, I don't know how you factor that in, but the Penguins are the team for me. I'm, I really like them but I really thought they would beat the Islanders last year. And of course mm-hmm. it, it didn't, didn't turn out that way. Yeah. Well, Jari had a terrible playoff. There's no way right. to say it otherwise. And uh, to the extent and watching him down the stretch for the Pittsburgh Penguins last season, I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't like his game. Like he looks, he looks very uncommittal to how he wants to play. Yeah. You know, he didn't look confident in his depth. He didn't look confident in which post integration to use and win. Like to me, he just looked like a goalie that, needed a little bit of help. He needed some structure. He needed somebody maybe. And that's ended up what ended up happening, by the way, is that the the Pittsburgh Penguins brought in Andy Kyoto, who had yeah. been Tristan Jari's goalie coach with the Wilkes-Barre Penguins leading up to I'm with Pittsburgh. Right. And I think that's been a big help because Kyoto really understands Jari. Yeah. And, and I see it now. And I went a deep dive on him recently for some work I was doing where, man, he's, his edges are crisp. He's on the top. Uh, you know, toes at the top of the paint, his feet are set and he's tracking the puck so well. And that, that was missing last year. So I don't know what Kyoto and Jari have done to work on his puck tracking. There's a lot of different things you can, but to me, it's evident. It's very much better. His puck handling is a huge asset. He's fantastic with the puck. He should be getting a ton of talk for the Vezina right now. Yeah. His traditional numbers, he's well over 930. Yep. He's sitting like top four in goal save above expected. And he is the best goaltender in the national hockey league on high danger chances against. So like I just rattled off every reason why fans should believe in Tristan Jari and the reasons why I do now, because last year I jettisoned him from my fantasy team because I wasn't sure what was going to happen in Pittsburgh. Yep. And it's, it looks like a terrible decision. Okay. I, um, because he's playing lights out. Yeah. I believe in him. I believe in his structure. I believe in the, the 
the support that he has to be successful. I do. To me, it looks like he's in a better place that he should be able to. And sometimes you got to go through adversity to be able to get over that hump. Andre Vasilevsky didn't win a first round playoff series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Got outplayed by Jonas Corposalo. Yep. Okay. Corposalo is a 904 career goalie in the NHL. He's on the trading block. He needs a bump start somewhere, but he could beat Andre Vasilevsky. But you know what? Two years later, Andre Vasilevsky is the standard. Yeah. No. So I I I think they can. I think, you know, I think Marc-Andre Fleury and having spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh during the Crosby era and, you know, that team goes to back-to-back finals in 08 and 09, of course, wins the first Crosby era era cup. Mm -hmm. And and Marc-Andre Fleury, I mean, there were playoffs after that that were just forgettable, totally forgettable for him. And, you know, is there any doubt in anyone's mind that he's a Hall of Famer and all of those things? And yet... You know, you think back to that period of time between, say, 10 and 13 or 13 was OK. But there were just times in there the fans were like, get, we need to get rid of this guy. And oh, yeah. People you know, forget that the torches were out for Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, for sure. A couple yeah. coaches get fired. Like and I watched that the whole time wincing because his technical game wasn't where it needed to be. It was obvious to me that at the time he was not receiving modern goalie coaching. He had not moved into the new world where post integrations, there's better things you can do on your posts to stop getting roasted on these bad angle shots that were making him look terrible. Yeah. And it, it hurt me to watch it because I just, I knew that this is a guy who's always improved. He's got a burning desire to get better, but he's, I didn't think he was getting the coaching he needed to do it. He didn't have the avenues to improve. And there's a similarity there. I think where, Jari and Kyoto, that's a really good combination. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and part of this too with Jari, he's outplayed Casey DeSmith by so much. Now, DeSmith has played much better recently. Yes. But that factors in when I start thinking about Vezina nominations. Yeah. No, right. I'm... Like Markstrom and Vladar, I, I think that takes away from Markstrom going for a Vezina. Yeah. As yeah. good as Vladar's been. Yeah. That's how good Jari's been. So, Scott, I, I, I wanted to ask you because hockey players, we hold dear to our Christmas parties and our holiday parties and our holiday year. And I love to organize these things, but I'm curious from the media perspective, you know, you've been around for a while. Do you have any memorable Christmas party moments or gatherings or things around the holidays that you would look forward to pre COVID times, even now that, that really made the world sing for you every year in December. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's probably more for me because I covered winter classics for many years. So it was probably more New Year's Eve on the road, often away from family. And that was sort of more the we've had some epic pre winter classic New Year's Eve uh, <laughs> sessions. Um, but I would say back in uh, back in my news reporting days, we, for number, we used to have a Grinch party. So we would have you know, Grinch theme and the lead up to the, you know, we play the Grinch. We still every year, Charlie Brown and the Grinch yeah. must watch it mix in a little sound and music too. So uh, um, that's, uh, those are the things that, uh, that I think about. And uh, yeah. How about you? Like see the team, like the, to me, like we're the team, you know, holiday party or Christmas party. That must've always been wherever you were. That must've been fun. Oh, it was always a highlight. You know, it was one of your chances during the year where you, you know, like you really planned that one out. And I got to be the planner, surprisingly, later on in my career. And you'd, you know, you'd, you'd always try to find a, a local restaurant that could help you out and just cater it, right? Like put everything out, pick up the food, like not make it difficult to anybody. And like, I'd always 
always be the ringleader when it came to trivia. <laughs> so we do like a Christmas trivia. We'd have prizes. Nice. You know, you'd have awards for whoever dresses up. And like the ugly sweater thing didn't really be. I mean, that wasn't until like the mid 2010s to really kind of take off. Like I, I remember rating a rating a goodwill in Peoria, Peor- Illinois in probably 2012. And I, where it's actually where I got this beautiful. That's it. Um, I got to tell you I, that my, for people at home that can't see, I, I, I'm just listening to the pod. I'm wearing a turtleneck that's got snowmen on it and a, and a beautiful vest that's red with some flakes. And this is all authentic. This is from a goodwill in Peoria. Illinois. <laughs> so uh, I just, I love that. That was one of my, my favorite times because you just totally let go. Yeah. Enjoy the night and always and like the wives, girlfriends, kids, like it, it took your mind off hockey. And it was a moment that we all looked at looking forward to it. And the only nervousness was really hoping nobody got off the rails because <laughs> 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 you didn't want somebody missing at practice the next day. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. You know, the buddy system or whatever, make sure That's everybody's in well, yep. my friend, I, I only think good thoughts for you and your family over the next few days and stay safe and healthy. And I hope that prime rib, I'm a little disappointed. There's not going to be smoking prime rib, but I'll be thinking <laughs> about you on Christmas day and Christmas Eve. All the best to you, my friend. Great work. Same again. to you, Scott. It's been great. It's been a, it's been a fun start to this season working together with the suitcase and scribe. And when you, I think it's time for us to, to head on out and head in the sleigh and enjoy the holiday season. Why don't you just press the button on that Christmas tree to take s- us we're out send here. send ourselves off on the, uh, on the, I'm going to, I'm going to find that button. Let's hear it. There we go. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to the suitcase and the scribe, a member of the nation network of podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.